presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to the Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of the Common Sense Institute. Thank you for joining us. I'm excited today to welcome our first guest, Ginger Graham. Ginger Graham is former president, chief executive officer of Amelin Pharmaceuticals, a biotech company focused on fighting diabetes and obesity. During her tenure at the company, they were listed on the NASDAQ 100 and were rated as one of the top 10 places in the industry for scientists to work. In addition, Ginger taught classes at entrepreneurship at Harvard Business School and has written for Harvard Business Review. Today, she serves on several public and private company board of directors and she consults for first-time CEOs in areas of leadership, strategy, board effectiveness, and organization building. Recently, she launched Ginger and Baker, a cafe, restaurant, market, and so much more in Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome, Ginger. Thank you, Earl. It's nice to be here. Our second guest is Laura Thomas, Douglas County Commissioner. Laura spent 26 years serving with the Colorado State Patrol where she was the first woman captain and major. In addition, Laura was an entrepreneur and is an entrepreneur who managed the rental of three single family homes for over 20 years while working for the state patrol. As a current Douglas County commissioner, she has brought dynamic, effective leadership to Douglas County. Laura knows the families are what make our community strong, vibrant, and the county government must seek the best possible quality of life for our families in order to ensure Douglas County remains a shining example for the rest of the Colorado. And many of you know that Douglas County is one of the fastest growing counties in the United States. Welcome to you both. Today's you. conversation is rather timely. It's on COVID-19 and the cases that we have are rising. Hospitalizations are on the rise and we are having new restraints put on Coloradoans as we speak. We worry about the looming shutdowns that have occurred and are likely to occur once again. As a business owner and policymaker, I'm wondering how do you see the current environment and how do you navigate through it with what the states are doing and what the national situation is with regards to testing and with regards to treatment? Ginger, I want to start with you. You're in the restaurant industry. From what I hear and from what I see, it's been severely impacted due to COVID-19 restraints have been put on the economy. Colorado Restaurant Association CEO Sonia Riggs recently stated that up to 65% of the restaurants will face closure in the next six months if situation does not change. You have an outstanding restaurant up in Fort Collins. And can you tell us what your personal experience has happened and the challenges you have? Well, thanks, Earl. I really appreciate being included in this discussion. It is indeed a very challenging time for hospitality and service businesses. After almost eight months now of being either closed or severely restricted in our business, and as you say, looking forward to a potentially difficult upcoming several months, I fear many restaurants will close permanently. Uh, Our experience may be useful to describe a bit. Prior to the virus, we had 115 employees 
with a business that has over 530 seats, as you mentioned, includes two restaurants, three bars, three outdoor patios, a coffee shop, a teaching kitchen, event spaces, and a retail market, all of which are impacted by the restrictions. In 2019, uh, we were a destination for over 450 events and very proud to be a community gathering place and a tourist attraction in Northern Colorado. This year, you know, we were closed for three months. We furloughed all of our employees except a handful of key managers that I'm determined to hang on to so we can rebuild in the future. While we were closed, we fed all of our employees who needed support. We paid not only our portion of their health care, but their part of the premium. We tried to put employees to work on an ad hoc basis to help us clean and maintain the building. We launched a to-go business for the first time. We started family meals that people could buy for weeks at a time. Uh, we were enabled by the state to start selling alcohol and offering our wine selection from our extensive wine list to our guests to take home. We added catering and we uh, continued to ship pies and gift baskets across the U.S. So we used every tool I could think of to continue the business. And after we reopened, we added tables and chairs on the sidewalks around our building thanks to city support. We reconfigured our outdoor seating to maximize the opportunity. We rented umbrellas and other equipment, purchased materials so we could rope off and secure areas for service. And even with a building of 20,000 square foot feet inside, we had very little indoor access because of the restrictions on number of people in the building. We rehired as many employees as we could. We're currently at over 60. Uh, and we've put all of them through a new orientation, uh, re respondent training programs. Uh, we put all of them through a new orientation and comprehensive training programs on personal safety and state and county required protocols. We aggressively screen them at the door. We ask all the questions we have managed so far. And I feel like I should knock on wood really seriously. We have not had a single case diagnosed in our employee group since we reopened. And we're hoping to continue that. It is Ginger, really, let, Ginger, yes. Ginger, I want to I want to interrupt you for a second. You talk about reopening, but you're not talking about reopening to a hundred percent. What are you What are you saying? You've reopened to what what level of capacity and what level of service? And how does that fit with your ability to even make a profit? Well, reopening is a new term. Uh, certainly, we have been constrained at various levels based on state and county requirements. Originally, it was 25% occupancy of any room in the building and a total cap on building, including your employees. Now we're at 50% occupancy, but as many counties are headed in the other direction, we fear we're going backwards. So we do have a very limited access to our building currently. And, and considering the, the heavy overhead of just uh, overhead costs that you have, and you can you even make a profit or break even at 25 or 50 percent? And what about restaurants in general being able to do that? No, Earl, I don't think any restaurant can survive at 25 percent capacity. Many of the fixed costs of a restaurant, you can imagine the utilities with all your gas and refrigeration. You have enormous inventories of food and alcohol in the building that then just sit and have a limited shelf life. You have all of the service components of a restaurant, which include 
all of your contracts with your food service providers, your paper goods suppliers, your leases on all your equipment, and none of those are altered, as well as all the regular fixed cost of any business with all your licenses and permits and requirements, your property taxes, the personal property taxes on your decor, all of those things persist. And certainly we believe at 25% capacity, it is a financial meltdown for any restaurant, including ours. Well, how do people exist? How do the, how do the restaurants exist? I don't believe that many will if this continues to persist. Obviously, if you own your own building, we are of the good fortune to own our own building. There's some amount of relief there. But for anyone who's renting and anyone who continues to have such small spaces to be able to fit very few people in their business in Colorado weather, as you know, it was eight below zero in Fort Collins a week ago, and we had 18 inches of snow. And so all of our outdoor seating is gone. And we've lost about 23 tables in a day. And you can imagine uh, multiple turns a day that that's very significant revenue. So I believe we are at a crisis point in the wintertime in Colorado if all restaurants are mandated to severe constraints on capacity. And I might say that it also is very much dependent on consumers. There are many things that are conveyed by all these restrictions that cause people to alter their behavior. And certainly it can't be made up by a to-go only business. Ginger, you obviously have taken a lot of pre uh, precautions uh, with regards to your staff. You mentioned that in training. But you also started to mention, I interrupted you, unfortunately, the additional costs that you are incurring to try to make it uh, convenient and safe for your customers. Can you fill us in some more on that? Yes, well, we are trying to be very aggressive in compliance with all federal, state, and county requirements to convey confidence and comfort to our guests. Uh, So we definitely have gone through a lot of retraining. We have to acquire all of the personal protective equipment and cleaning equipment. And so far, we've experienced dramatic increases, sometimes 500% increases in the cost of the personal protective equipment like gloves and masks. And even with those increased prices, we struggle with shortages on those items. We've been unable to acquire adequate supplies of packaging materials for to-go and delivery We signed up with multiple delivery services, but found that the fees they charge are so onerous that we lose money on to-go and have had to drop to all but one. Our bars are closed, so we're not able to really move any amount of alcohol that was commensurate to prior sales. So we have tried to take advantage of the state allowance to sell packaged alcohol, but it in no way makes up for the disproportionate hit to profits. And for us, being an event venue and having a teaching kitchen, all of our classes have been canceled and our events have been downsized dramatically. And you add to that the struggle to keep employees. I must say it's been very challenging because many of them have determined that their federal and state unemployment benefits are more attractive than pay for work. Others have family members or personal circumstances that have caused them to leave the hospitality industry. And certainly this summer with extreme heat, the smoke from the fires, asking them to run marathons out to sidewalks to serve people, it's been challenging. And not the least of which is anytime anyone feels any symptoms for anything now, 
We ask them to stay out of the business. We pay them anyway. They have to wait five to seven days to get a test. They get a test. We've had it take 17 days to get a test result. So your loss of employment and productivity and your increased cost are magnitude. So we are really experiencing what many restaurants feel, which is a struggle to find a way to even cash flow the operations. I, I Ginger, you, you've, you've, it's a dire situation you're, you're describing for us with regards to an industry that's so important with regards to Colorado, with the leisure and recreation, et cetera. Help us out. You've got the experience of the Harvard Business School, and you've had case studies, and you've had challenges at Amelin and a company that you helped be successful and helped turn around. Help us out, if you would, in looking at the industry and looking at your company. What, what, first of all, what does survival mean uh, for your industry and for your for for you? And if this COVID situation continues to restrict us with regards to availability of restaurants, what should be done so that the survival rate is as high as possible? And just step out a little further, not to complicate things. How do you see state or national, I guess, policy issues that would help the industry and just be good common sense that maybe isn't being exhibited right now? You know, Earl, I think the first thing I would say is we all need a magic wand because these are very large challenges. Number one, we desperately need readily available, fast testing. If we are to act and to help our employees make sure that we know who should be in the building and who should not and be able to get people back to work as quickly as possible. We must have the access to test and they must be quick. Uh, a second thing that I have recommended to Governor Polis and to our local authorities is to try to reconcile the many layers of constraints and provide clear direction. Right now, we're told we have to manage a six foot distance rule, a capacity constraint by room, a total building capacity strength, a time of day for service rule, you can't serve alcohol after a certain time, a type of service constraint. Right now, we can't let people sit at bars or do group classes. So rather than prescribing all these multiple constraints with variable uh, degrees based on the county and the state, I think it would be helpful to try to align some very specific outcomes we're looking for. Everyone wears a mask. Everyone stays six feet apart. And then let businesses manage those requirements based on their unique business model and their physical footprints, rather than being micromanaged around multiple variables. I think it's also possible for governments to consider relief of fees and payments. You know, we still have to pay for a full liquor license, but we can't serve at our bars. Uh, we have to pay our business license for a full year, but we've only been able to operate for a part of the year. We still have full property taxes, personal property taxes on our decor and extras in the building. And certainly, I think all of these fixed costs added to the government fees and requirements with government mandates for restrictions on business are a no-win scenario. I definitely want to encourage Governor Polis in the state to make permanent the ability of restaurants to sell alcohol to go. This may be our only hope. And the automatic increases to minimum wage will be an additional pressure. The proposed FMLA benefits 
the law that controls allocation of tips to just a few employees, I think should be reevaluated. And with all of the increased payments to employees for time off due to COVID, I think some relief in terms of how that's supported by the state would be helpful. But all of this, you know, revenue and profit allow us to employ people, pay our taxes, invest in our community and give back. And without revenue and profits, we obviously, like every other business, are handcuffed. So I believe 25% capacity is a certain financial future and local businesses, small businesses will collapse. If we want the hospitality business to survive in Colorado and all the employment that goes with it, I think there must be additional relief. And we're hoping that we can persuade our elected officials that that is a good investment for future employment and future economy and the survival of our cities and downtown communities. Ginger, I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but have you had a chance to have that conversation with the governor? Yes, he visited our establishment just recently, and I tried to help him understand the literal manifestations of many of the requirements. Uh, I've also met with our city manager and called on many of our city council here locally and have participated in the Colorado Restaurant Association surveys and write-ins to our senators and other elected officials trying to help them understand on the ground, local business people are an integral part of our community and our economy, and we want to be part of the solution. But there are certain limitations imposed by regulations and fees and constraints that we individually cannot overcome, and we're going to need their support. Well, you know, that's a good uh, way to to start talking with Laura. Commissioner Thomas, you heard what Ginger's had to say. Now, it's up in Larimer County, of course, not down here in Douglas County. But from a policymaker's perspective, um, how do you, you know, see what uh, you all can do to help the business people like Ginger or folks like in Douglas County that have a similar situation? Well, Ira, I'd like to thank you for this opportunity. And Ginger, wow, what a powerful presentation you just did. I learned so much from listening to you. I would use words like persistent and dedicated and experienced, just a few about what I heard you just talk about. So thank you for what you're doing in your community. You know, Earl, I have been a commissioner now for four years, so I've had the opportunity to build relationships with some of our business owners. And I have been texting them constantly since February. They've been texting me. And so I learned from them I listen to them about what they need to keep going. And we have been able to get some variances done in Douglas County to keep our businesses going at least. I think it is is developing these relationships to be able to reach out and learn both directions from what I can do and what they can do to keep succeeding. And so I think it really boils down to those relationships to understand the needs on each side. Your argument, Laura, is that, hey, I'm at the ground floor. I'm in, I'm in the trenches of my community. I know my community well, and I know the people well. And as a result, we can do something that's special and unique to help them. Give us a couple examples of some variances that you've, you've said, hey, Douglas County has got to do this. Maybe other counties aren't going to do it, but we need to do this. Can you give us some examples? I sure can. We started working with our restaurants and our gyms and our churches. We had a team of employees that we pulled together 
and the commissioners had relationships with the churches, with these restaurants, with these gyms. And so we were able to connect those business owners with work groups so that the business owners told our staff, this is what we need to open. This is what we can do to help the situation. So government in in Douglas County wasn't dictating to industry. Industry was telling us what they could do, what they could accomplish. So we did that communication together. We got a, a small gym called Spanga in Highlands Ranch opened because they do a strength, they do yoga, and they do stretching exercises. So he was able to set up individual sections that each person, each client would go to, and no client would use the same equipment. So we were able to use that model as a way to get an exemption for these small gyms. Uh, We had a coalition of pastors who explained to us how they thought they could make churches have distancing in it, but yet still be able to offer that really personal relationship with God in their services. And so it was that working together with our churches, with our restaurants, with our teams. So then we presented the variances to Tri-County Health, and we got 13 different variances approved. Well, you know, you you mentioned Tri-County Health, but at the same time, uh, you split with Tri-County Health. Uh, Explain the how why you did that i think i know the answer but i'd like to hear it from you so in early this is a this is a good question because we have been struggling to get this message out you know there's a political campaign going on right now so there's a lot of disinformation that's being shared and i appreciate the opportunity to set the record straight in early july dr douglas who's the executive director of tri county health told douglas county that he was going to have an executive He was going to have a meeting with his executive board of health, and they were going to talk about a mandatory masking order for Aurora and for Adams County. But he was not going to impose that on Douglas County because our numbers were so low. We already had 75 percent voluntary compliance with mask wearing. So when Dr. Douglas went into that board meeting on July 8th, he gave a recommendation to not require masks in Douglas County. This nine-member board of health, which is three people from Arapahoe, Douglas, and Adams County, made a motion to mask up all three counties, which was in direct opposition of Dr. Douglas's recommendation. The next day in a posted board meeting, I made the motion that we withdraw from from the Tri-County Health Department, give them the one-year statutory notice because... Douglas County residents were not getting the governance that they needed from that Board of Health. And we felt that we could work with Dr. Douglas, and this is what's happened now. We're still working with Dr. Douglas in the Health Department. And now Dr. Douglas has proposed a new new governance model, which will allow Douglas County to have direct input on public health orders before they are issued for our county. And that's what this was all about, was local control and governance that met the needs of our citizens. So I think it's been a win-win. I think that the Board of Health is going to meet next week to formalize this proposal that Dr. Douglas has given us. In return, we will stay, Douglas County will stay with Tri-County for two years. Uh, So we evaluate if this is really the right decision for us, or if it really is time for Douglas County to have its own health department, like 70% of the other counties in the state do. Let me, I'd like to push back a little bit on Douglas County kind of doing their own thing. 
I mean, I uh, I can imagine that having a, a kind of independent rule is important with a county, but we're talking about COVID-19. We're talking about a pandemic. We're talking about something that is that has had devastating impact in uh, around the world as well as the United States and the local level. How do you, uh, as an independent, I guess, authority in this particular area, make certain that the community is being well served as far as safety, and at the same time, you're keeping your economy going? So we'll continue working with Dr. Douglas, listening to his medical advice. Uh, let me just add that Douglas County has has had one death in August one in September, one in October, and we are having less than two people a day hospitalized with COVID. And Earl, it's all about seeking that balance. What is this balance so that uh, what Ginger was talking about, people still have their livelihoods, they still have their health insurance, they still are able to maintain their family lives while doing good safety practices like distancing and washing their hands. So it's seeking that important balance while using the medical advice of the expert in the room, Dr. Douglas. I've noticed and uh, done a little bit of research with regards to the Douglas County area, and it, it's uh, interesting that uh, while most cities and counties have can, uh, can have declines in their revenues and sales uh, revenues and taxes, Douglas County sales tax revenues are up 7% year-to-date compared to 2019, while Fort Collins is down 5%. Ginger's getting impacted by that. And you've got uh, Boulder is down 11%, and Denver itself is down 16%. What's going on? Well, for years, Douglas County has had conservative leadership. And our belief is that all government needs to do is build a foundation for businesses to be successful. Government should be adding value to people's lives, not being a speed bump or a roadblock. So we have long had a, a policy belief and practice that we get out of the way and let businesses do what they know how to do best, and that's run their business. And I think that our businesses already knew how to run their business as well. And they are resilient here in Douglas County and we had a great community outpouring to help businesses like Ginger's. And I think it was a combination of a lot of people had businesses they were working out of their homes already, a lot of business support. And uh, just for example, Ginger talked about the business personal property tax. The state exemption level for that is $7,200. In Douglas County, we accept exempt the first $100,000 of property from that taxing entity. So that really exempts a lot of small businesses from having to pay that tax. So we already have great things in place to support our businesses so they can thrive. Well, Laura, it seems to me that you're also saying that somehow the protocols that are being followed or just good luck has allowed you to have a relatively healthy environment in Douglas County versus other parts of the state. Is that a fair statement? I, I think what needs to be added to that is that when we went into this in March, Douglas County had been rated the healthiest county, not only in the state, but in the entire country by the Robert Wood Foundation and the Aetna Foundation. And that was done on 82 different metrics in 10 different categories. So when you have that extensive kind of a study, that says Douglas County is the healthiest county in the entire country. Our citizens already were taking great care of themselves. 
They have access to health care. They um, use our open space. 47% of Douglas County is open space and private and public lands. So our, our citizens were already doing great things to take care of themselves. And so I, I don't think that this impact was as great on our citizens as it was on uh, in other places. But Ginger, you've had a chance to listen to Laura. And Laura, I'm going to come back to you after t- asking Ginger this question. What additional thoughts might you have with regards to the to the folks that you'll deal with in Larimer County as well as at the state level on making life economically uh, more viable for businesses like yours? Well, certainly I think there are opportunities that have been described that really do reduce the current financial burden on business. And I certainly encourage Larimer County to think of those and the city of Fort Collins as well. I also believe that promotion by the local chamber and uh, community groups to help support their local businesses, restaurants and otherwise, are really important. And an awareness by the citizens that we're talking about the survival of local businesses on behalf of the community. So I do believe it's time for partnership in many new ways and for governments to realize that the layers of financial burden and approvals and bureaucratic processes must be delayered to enable businesses to survive this challenge. Laura, I had the same question for you. What do you what do you see in addition to what you're doing at a local and state level? And then I have one more question for both of you. You know, last December the commissioners reduced uh, the property tax for the Douglas County portion on property taxes by a half a mil. And while it wasn't that much, it was our commissioner saying to our businesses that we understand that you are the backbone of our community also to our residents, that we value you and we are trying to work together to lessen the burden of taxes. Uh, I, I just think it goes back to building those relationships and that conversation back and forth to help understand what we can all do to help each other get through this more easily. I want to thank both of you for your candor and uh, and your very crisp analysis of uh, both of your situations. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.